How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores hacking and highly effective I am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. How'd I do, Michael? That was great. Good voice. <laughs> yeah, what well, 15 years of training, classical acting training, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh, this is Michael. That's it. So welcome. Yeah, Mark, I mean, I tell you, you, you can't get much more of an accolade than from the artistic director of the New Rep Theater. They're right there in Watertown. So, Michael Bobbitt, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. We're so glad that you're here tonight. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And I am so thrilled you're here. And we have Brendan Mulhern, who is a young actor who is coming up through Stella Adler uh, and is calling in from Astoria, New York. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to meet you again, Michael, and Tom. And uh, Mark, how's everybody doing tonight? These are two crazy. thumbs up, Dr. Joe. Two big thumbs up. Um, um, and tell me about your thumbs up there, Mark. How come your thumbs up tonight? What's going on? Because everything is great. I'm very grateful. It was a beautiful day today. Everything is going tremendously well. The family is is tight. You know, business is great. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's smiling. And now we're getting prepared for a new rollout, right? So there's some newness that's upon us, like the spring is upon us. So, and then there's some, you know, nervous energy around this next phase, right, of the rollout. What's going to happen? How are we going to deal with it? Are we going to be responsible? Is it going to work? Or are we going to be right back to where? we were a month ago right. so i'm i'm very optimistic as as we've talked about my goal for 2020 was to be enormously optimistic in all circumstances all year long and it's been uh it's been challenging with uh, this pandemic and to see all the other people who are you know looking at their shoes and you know really bumming out and trying to just stay up and you know what today was a great day Today was a great day to be alive, you know? That's great. That's great. And, and, and just so folks know, we, we are recording this in Massachusetts. And so uh, Governor Baker has said that on May 18th, we're going to be beginning very cautiously, very carefully reopening part of our economy and part of our services. And um, it, is, it is a critical time in how we manage the corona because even though we're opening things up, I don't want people to think we can get complacent. Remember, every time you wear a mask, you are sending a message to another human being that you care about them, that you think they are valuable, and that you want to protect them. It is not about being afraid. It is not about anxiety. The mask used to represent people who robbed us, who were bandits, or who were trying to hide their emotions. That's not what the mask is about right now. The mask is a simple message saying, I may be an asymptomatic carrier, a fancy way of saying, I may have COVID and not even know it. So I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna be sure that I wear my mask just 
in case. That shows value to other people. That's what we're all about. That's what this robot is about. That's what our society is. We're learning about ourselves. And that is, I hate to say it, dramatic. Which leads me right to our guests. <laughs> Good because segue. We're talking tonight. We're talking tonight about, about theater in the age of Corona. And and Michael, you know, you're you you when we were coming in and off air, you're saying that you've been you've been talking about this, you've been doing these Zoom things. What's going on? What are we gonna do? Yeah, I'll echo Mark's sentiment. I am I'm two uh, thumbs up there, a little, probably a little wavier because this is my ninth Zoom moment of the day. Of the day? <laughs> of the day. And uh, I mean, it's all very exciting. It's all very exciting conversations. There, there's, there's half the time we're spending trying to put Band-Aids on the problem and trying to, trying to, you know, stop the bleeding. The other half we're spending thinking about what the future will hold and maybe what parts of the industry are broken because of methods and processes and procedures that we founded way back when that we haven't quite changed. And I kind of find all those exciting, scary, but exciting. I mean, it's a, it's a scary time because our whole industry is, uh, is teetering um, and it may be hard to come back from, but I, you know, it's a 4,000 year old art form. So theater is not going to go away, but it certainly won't look like it looks now. And I hope that everyone stays focused on what's to come as opposed to focusing on just what, how to stop the bleeding from now. Mm. Create, don't <laughs> complain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we have been questioning everything from the subscription model <laughs> to um, tiered seating, as we talk about accessibility, which has been dominating conversations in theater for years. So why are we still doing tiered seating? Why are we giving discounts to rich people that probably can afford to pay full price? Why are we letting people buy tickets a year and a half in advance? Which financially and business-wise maybe doesn't make sense because you're spending money now for something that you can't deliver until next year. Um, and and even the how we do season planning, we're picking start dates and finish dates for shows. That doesn't allow a hit show to extend and extend and extend. And, and on the flip side, if you have a terrible show, a show that's not doing well, you can't close it early because subscribers have bought tickets for the last week of a six-week run. So all of those things are sort of coming under scrutiny, and I find all of that very exciting. We've been having conversations about streaming, a lot of conversations about streaming, and why, why aren't we allowing our live stage shows to be streamed and broadcast in a wide range? Uh, certainly there's a fear that you would take away from that intimate experience of being in a theater and experiencing one thing at, at the same time. But that hasn't stopped the sports world from benefiting greatly from broadcasting sporting events all over the country. In fact, it's only benefited them. They've, they've seen increased sales and increased attendance and increased, and increased sponsorship because of the visibility. So theater is, 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 is running to catch up with all that right now. Well, I, I, you know, that's a great segue over to Brendan. Um, who you want to tell them about what you just did with uh, with your Stellar Alley group? Yeah, and Michael, I'm I'm really happy to hear you talk about you know visiting revisiting some of these structures because um, you know my wife Sophie and I have probably seen more theater in the last six weeks 
stuck in our apartment than we did in the two years that we've been in New York. And mainly it's because it's free. We've been able to watch live streamed or pre-recorded um, opera, plays, uh, obviously movies, um, talks, talkbacks, um, script readings. And it's been absolutely invigorating and enlivening to be able to participate in theater in that way, in art in that way. And um, and classmates of mine and myself recently did our final second year projects on Zoom. They, and they were, you know, originally intended and cast to be stage shows. Um, and then in the middle of the semester, um, the coronavirus hits and we had to pivot. And um, I'm thankful to be part of a school that is run by the real artists, real pe people who really believe that, that theater doesn't have to be on a stage. It, it can be anywhere that you decide to, to share your art. Um, we decided to make a Zoom production out of it. And that meant uh, myself and one other cast member in New York, one cast member in San Antonio, one cast member in uh, Milwaukee, another cast member in Copenhagen and we did and we did a live production of Oedipus Rex uh, from our homes that we had to sort of customize and um, make work with one another across the world really and it was incredible it was an incredible experience far different from anything that we would have normally done with anything we were expecting and that is where a lot of and usually that's where when you when you talk about the magic of theater or or expression those unexpected um those unsought for um results that come from just taking a chance and doing something so while we are handcuffed in a way especially myself and others who are still in training and they you know there's a there's a whole school or the, i mean there are many many schools of classical training, theater training, actor training, that it's all about the stage and it's all about in person, how are we gonna pivot into a medium like this? Um, but that spark of just like, well, let's see what happens and just embracing it. And and um, that was that was incredible. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to um, create in that way, given even, even in the current circumstances. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the conversations I had just today was with a group of um, directors who are teaching directing, and the question was posed, do we now have to start teaching people how to direct for film? And my answer was, yeah. <laughs> Why haven't we done this? Yes, we should do this. This is going to be what the future is. And do we want to stay in an industry that is always running to keep up? And I also find it very interesting that we are a creative industry. Our whole business is founded on people using their imagination to envision a world different. But as artists, sometimes we hold on to the traditions and we don't want to pivot and change. And so today I was like, yeah, absolutely. Start teaching it, add it to the curriculum, get ahead of it, start putting it on now, get online and get some training and how to direct for film. This is part of what we need to do and what the future will hold for this industry um, really soon. If we if we get through this and recreate theater the way it used to be, that'll be a shame, I think. Hmm. Why do you think that, Michael? Why would that be a shame? 
Because all the things we've been talking about, about access and about visibility, and even the word essential has caused people to get up in arms about this art form being essential. And maybe they're not talking about essential in the way that we are getting triggered by. We're really talking about um, relevance. How can we be more relevant in an art form that only allows two or 300 people to sit in a room and experience it per night maybe isn't as relevant to the national conversations that are going on that we're having. And so if we want to do all the things we say we want to do, which is access, affordability, making sure that we're diverse and equitable and not being, being anti-racist and anti-oppression, then we have to change the systems that are keeping us in the same place. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, we'll, I'd say rewarding to hear you say that and inspirational because we have been sort of trapped in certain ways of delivering a service. We're seeing this in, in psychiatry, especially right now, right? So what we're doing in psychiatry is telehealth and telepsychiatry. So rather than have a patient spend their time coming to see me in my office, they can just do this. A secure app, they get in touch with us, and I get to be in their world. You know how there's a whole thing where we take we take tell and make it into show, right? We, we take a story and put it into a play. We make it show. This is what's happening in psychiatry right now. Mm. Instead of the patient coming in and telling me about the picture of their grandmother on their refrigerator, they can show me. They show me their world, and I get an insight into their world that I would never have had. And we're finding, at least in psychiatry, and in my program at Riverside Community Care, that our no-show rate is practically zero. We used to have, you know, like maybe 60, 70% of people show up. There'd be a whole thing about, you know, when, why aren't people showing up? They're showing up because we are going to them. And that's what I'm wondering whether theater is about to do that. Are we about to go into the home of someone and say, here's theater, here we are. Let us show you these great works of art. But you I, have to come. Go ahead, Brendan. Oh, no, I, I, I absolutely hope so. And, and to, to your point, what actors now would be, I don't want to say forced to do, but what we would do as a result is bring ourselves more to the characters and to the stories. Doing a live version of Oedipus Rex, I had to use my own apartment, my own clothing, my own uh, everything to form a set. I didn't have a costume designer, we didn't have wardrobe, we didn't have lighting design, we didn't have all these wonderful um, bells and whistles that, that can make theater exciting uh, in the moment. Uh, and I didn't have that, I didn't have a, a, a costume to hide behind. I had what I had in my house. I didn't have a set to interact with. I had my, my bedroom. And what that does for the actor is bring whatever part of me uh, can relate to, I was playing Creon, in, uh, in the play, whatever part of me relates to this character, um, I was better able to bring that 
to the character rather than pulling the character to me necessarily. And in that way, it becomes a much more intimate and human communication and connection. Um, we're not we're not putting things up on a, on a in a proscenium and sort of hiding behind the lights and the costumes. We are getting back to the core of storytelling and human connection, where somebody, even if they're uh, you know across the world, can see that performance and they can look into they can peer into this little tiny window and they go, I see myself. I see my I see my father. I see my mother. I see I see a, a desire and a dream that I have in this person right here in front of me. So I I I absolutely sign on to the to the power that could be um, utilized with this medium. It's it's scary to think about change, especially for an art form that's been consistent for a while. And I will fully admit that New Rep has a subscription series. We're investigating remodeling it. Um, <clears throat> we are um, still budgeting the way we normally budget. Um, I don't know how, I, I think it's hard nowadays for, for businesses to be able to predict a year down the road. Why are we still doing it that way? It seems to me that quarterly budgets make more sense than full annual budgets. Um, but we're investigating new things. I'm talking to entrepreneurs and futurists and strategists and students and have a team at the theater that's investigating new models, constant conversations, constant learning online. But it reminds me of um, the, when I was a kid in the late 1900s. Um, it reminds me of the Bugs when Bunny. I was a kid in the late 1900s, Michael. <laughs> but I remember the Bugs Bunny episodes when there was the developer. I think it was usually Elmer Fudd that was building a high rise next to this little rabbit hole. And then Bugs Bunny would spend the whole episode fighting this developer and, and destroying him. And the developer finally built this building around Bugs Bunny Little Hole. So the last frame of the cartoon would always be Bugs Bunny Little Rabbit Hole with this big, huge high-rise around it. Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking development is going to happen. Change is going to happen. So do you fight it or do you go with it or do you get ahead of it? And I just find it interesting that we as creatives tend to fight it versus go with it or get ahead of it. We should be telling people, we should be in front of it, telling people this is what we're doing, you, you join us. So uh, and I'm guilty of sticking with traditions, I'm guilty of it. Right, but that, that's a really interesting insight. So, so my, one of my new phrases for Corona is adaptation is innovation. Adaptation is innovation. And I wonder, and I, I'm sorry, I can't help getting shrinky, is, is whether, whether artists and what you're talking about are not doing that forward thinking because on some level they don't think anyone's going to listen they don't feel they have the respect and the value of a society in that way it just popped into my head so i threw it out there what do you think it could be i mean as a person who's gone in and, and made lots of change in organizations i find that the thing that people fear the most about change is can they live up to the change? Can they actually do what is now being asked of them? And I wonder if artists are fearful of change because it means that all the things they learn how to do maybe don't apply anymore. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question to ask why people are fearful of adaptation. And I will also be a purist too. I mean, I, I grew up in the classical acting, classical dance and classical music world where scale was a scale and you stood at the ballet bar and did a hundred tendus because there's only one way to do a tendu. And so 
change is change. But even I, I used the metaphor earlier. When you look at dancers now, you look at those competition dance TV shows, those dancers are acrobats. They can do things in the air that we never imagined we could do. But at the core of it, they're still doing 100 tendus at the bar. And so you can still build the foundation and then use the foundation to propel you into the future and grow from it. But I it, maybe it's because people don't listen to artists. I don't know if that's the case. I think that right now, as we are living in the world of being quarantined, most people's sanity is being helped because they have art. They have art online. They have art on TV. I feel like I've finished Netflix, like I watched everything that Netflix has to offer. But that's all art, right? Yes. And so uh, uh, we do have a big voice. Um, and maybe we just need to learn how to use it better. And, you know, even our one of our greatest playwrights, William Shakespeare, followed the rules and he broke all the rules. You know, his plays are beautifully structured along classical ideas of rhythm and meter and, and how stories are told. And he also created half of the English language uh, as we speak it today because he could and wanted to. Um, and his respect for both aspects of his writing and artists through the generations continuously do that. We learn from tradition, we value tradition because it centers us and a lot of the times because it works. Um, and a lot of other people have done the heavy lifting for us. And so, you know, we can, we can sort of stand on their shoulders. Um, but then if you're driven by any sense, like we're always, we're constantly exploring, we're constantly reevaluating ourselves, uh, and what can be, what can we do better? Who, how can we be better people? How can we build a better society? And if, if you're moved by that, then you're always going to try to break down at least a wall here or there. Well, you were going to, were you going to say something? I was, I, I was going to say it to Michael and Brendan, is it a, is it a fear for letting down the forefathers of the art? Is it, is it a fear of diluting this classical art and being shamed for it? Right. So you don't want to step out and say, let's put this on TV, but this is theater. You can't put the theater in a silver screen or a TV like Netflix. You can't. It's theater, right? Yeah, Michael. I, 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 I don't know, Michael. Did, did, did I get the part? Did yeah, I get the part? And, and, and I liked your theater. <laughs> did I get the part? Yeah. Brendan, do you want to go ahead? Um, sure. Thank you. Um, I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. Um, I have no use for that kind of stodgy attitude um, towards anything. Um, I get <laughs> I get really annoyed at Shakespeare purists who think that like you know all the plays have to be in 1600s attire and use you know the same technology that they had then. Um, I don't think that that does. I think they missed the point completely. Um, film did not ruin theater. Um, YouTube has not ruined film. Uh, streaming has not ruined Hollywood. Uh, we we are innovative creatures. We are we are constantly striving to find a different way to communicate. Um, Shakespeare is is as powerful 
in front of 20 people in a black box as it could be at the Globe in London, as it could be in a really well done film adaptation. Um, so short answer after all that, no, I don't. I, I'm not worried about that at all. I love it. And I would only add that I, I, I don't, I agree. I don't know what the answer is. And, and, and actually at the same time, we, we celebrate innovation. Most of the major awards are usually going to, to actors that take in risk or production companies or movies or directors that have done something innovative. But for some, I don't know. It's, I think it's the fear of, am I going to be good at that? That probably keeps people the most stuck. Um, but I just, I mean, this is the time we're being forced to rethink things. And right now everyone's scrambling to put content out there. And I will just say for the record, I hope my friends don't hate me, but so much of it is not good. Uh, it's not good because we're scrambling to put it together. We're actually forgetting about excellence. Mm -hmm. We're so panicked about, uh, keeping our patrons engaged that we are scrambling to put stuff out there that is not of quality. And, uh, and I had to keep my board and staff like, let's just think about what we want to do and only put stuff out there that we feel really good about. Um, so, and, and I'm sure, and, and that adaptation, I think, is is somewhat innovative, but I think we need to, like, take a breath for a yeah. moment. Yeah, take a breath. And I will say what you two as representatives of theater organizations don't want to say out loud Without the element of human contact and the irrepeatability of a production, uh, I think theater becomes worthless. I think uh, a temporary innovation, like a Zoom production, that's a great innovation for a time of quarantine. Uh, as someone who got into theater for the bonds you form between castmates, for the thrill of the oxytocin flowing through your body at the sound of applause. Uh, if that's gone, I don't know what it is. It's something completely alien and I just hope is temporary. I don't know if Zoom should be considered the new normal. I think we should gradually try to reintroduce the, the humanity of live theater. And I, I think you guys have don't want to say that or don't think that, uh, but I will say it. Yeah, I've been trying to think of it as a patron service tool. The what we're doing online is really a patron patron service um, add on as opposed to a replacement for. Yeah. Um, because again, I don't think, and even with the idea of streaming, I don't think, and streaming won't threaten theater because people that like that live theater experience will still go to the theater. We're talking about accessibility and marketing uh, and visibility. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even last night, the, the, the program that Brendan um, went to, we were beta testing a sort of, um, we called it the script reading book club, where we gave, um, we had a small group of people that we gave a script to, and then we had the playwright of that script, nationally recognized Aaron Posner, um, talk to these folk about his script. Um, and we were beta testing it to see how it would go. The possibility of us turning it into a webinar and offering this to thousands and thousands of people is a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a patron service. It's not replacing the experience of seeing the theater. It's an add-on. So when I do the show, those people that had a chance to talk to Aaron about how he wrote the play will have even more connection to that piece. Yeah. Right. Everything from like a film adaptation to a 
a cast album uh, really just makes you want to see the live production, right? Like even Hamilton, that that's release has been pushed months and months, if not over a year in advance. I think the anticipation is as soon as people are saving up their money, they got their 1200 in the bank, they're thinking to themselves, you know, I'm finally going to make that trip to Broadway. That's what people crave. Yeah, Surge, when Chicago, the movie came out, Surge and ticket sales for the Chicago Broadway show. So this really raises the question of that human interaction. And perhaps part of the concern is that we're going to be stuck in our homes for a long time. Because um, even if we go to a theater, I mean, the idea of sitting in a theater six seats apart from someone, it's just, you know, it's just, it's obviously not the same. But we can't just say that theater is film, right? It's 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 not that way. And and the I think the reason that that it will never be that is because with the film, there are multiple 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 takes of the same scene until the director or someone thinks this is right. But with with this service, it is still live theater. It's just distant. But it's still all the potential mistakes, all the potential errors, all the the nuance. The difference, though, Tom, is that it'll be taped, and you can see that particular performance over and over again. Or you get a ticket for Wednesday, and you see the performance of Wednesday, and it's a one and done, and it's not taped. And then the same performance Thursday for another audience. I, I mean, I'm just trying to to you know brainstorm here how do we maintain that unique performance that tom is talking about which is what live theater is it will never be the same i mean i did you know i did stage theater as well and i know that there were no identical performances ever that's what's amazing about it so that's one thing there are two other things that i want to be sure that we touch on the first is what is it like for you brandon to have been performing Creon and not have an audience supporting. Like Tom is saying, oxytocin, if, if you don't know, Michael, is, is this remarkable brain chemical that is released. It's not oxycontin. Oxytocin is the neurohormone of trust. It's something I talk about a lot in the I Am Approach and Drug Story Theater. And it, it is that feeling you get when somebody says you're amazing and you get that rush it's when somebody values you and you get this amazing feeling. It's part of who we are as a social animal. It's, it is critical to how we have evolved. And in theater, it is unbelievable when you get that round of applause or you are the director uh, the, and you're sitting in the audience and you hear the audience applauding or, or being completely silent because they are so enwrapped in it. So, Brendan, what what was that like for you to not have the applause at the end of, of the show? Uh, well, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I miss it. Um, a lot of the, uh, as, you, as you say, the, the things that um, can really motivate somebody, uh, especially when they're starting off, is getting that first laugh or that first applause or that, you know, that first compliment about how uh, what you did was great or the roses in the green room you know yeah um 
And I miss, more than that, I missed working with my friends mm -hmm. in person, working on a show and telling a story together, feeding off of one another's energy. Um, you know, the, the cliched phrase of acting is reacting. Uh, there's, there's cliche for a reason. It's true. Um, my, my friend Chris, who's playing Oedipus, if he gives me a line differently one night to another, I'm going to react a little bit differently. And that, man, the energy that comes from that is incredible. And when you're, when you're tuned into one another, um, that people, people can really feel the, the, the energy between you and, and what's happening in the story. Um, at the same time, though, we also believe very much in in telling these stories and acting these stories and using what is available to us in a, in a very strange time that none of us predicted or wanted, um, but feeling the pull, the artistic pull to share this ancient play. I mean, you know, it was in the 400s BC when it was written and it's lasted this long. It was written in a time of pandemic. Um, it is a, the essential questions behind the play are who are we? Where do we come from? Do we have control over our own fates? Which we're all thinking about right now. Um, and so you just, you know, you mourn it for half a day and then you have a job to do. And it's a job that you love is to connect with people. So I'm like, okay, I'm not in the room with Chris, but Chris is right here. And in real time, he's in San Antonio, but we're feeding off of one another. And you make that as real as you possibly can. And uh, you, you tell the story with integrity uh, as best you can. That's the job. That's the love. That's the balance between the two. Um, and, and, and so there are these challenges. And Tom, I totally agree with you. Live theater cannot be replaced. I love it to death. I love film, but I'm a stage actor all the way. The feeling in the room when you are connected with the people watching and the people in the cast and all of you are together experiencing this amazing story, whichever one you're telling, uh, it can't be beat. Mm. But, but the reality is this is where we are now and what are we going to do? It's a make, it's a make do solution yeah. is my belief. But, but I think it needs to be more than that, Tom, because if, if we are just willing to settle for make do, then we will just make do. You know what I mean? We, we, we you know need, what I mean. You know what I, I mean. know what you mean. <laughs> but we need to take this opportunity. And I think, I think telepsychiatry may be a clue to this. Because even though I am not in the same room as my patient, um, they're still crying. They're still expressing their anger, their anxiety. They are, they are connected because as their psychiatrist, I am still listening. I am still interested. And I think, I, I mean, I, I all, you know, full disclosure, I am a, a longtime season ticket holder at the new rep. Uh, I've been part of the, uh, part of the new rep family is a season ticket holder one year before they moved to Watertown. And so I've been there ever since in the front row, uh, right there. Those are my seats. Um, <laughs> and, and I watched Oedipus Rex 
because Brandon uh, is my son-in-law, and I will full disclosure with that. I know, I know, I know you didn't know that. You may, you could bring Sophie in in a moment because uh, we should. But well, we have to tell her first. I didn't want to. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know. Sorry, sorry. And you still like each other. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but as an audience member watching this, um, I was completely drawn in. I was I was absolutely in that moment, but even more so because I wasn't sitting in the sixth row or in the balcony. I had an experience. Um, I was watching because my, my son-in-law and, and daughter turned me on to it, to the Metropolitan Opera. They did a, a fundraiser. Um, and it was all, all like this. You know, it was like Brady Bunch sort of thing, right? But what was remarkable was I was watching the conductor. I have never seen the face of a conductor in an orchestra. I've seen their back and I've seen them waving a baton and thinking, hey, what's the big deal? You know, they're just waving a baton. But that angle completely changed my understanding of what was going on in that orchestra. The expression of this conductor, the way he was drawing, drawing out the emotions of his orchestra, I would never have had that opportunity were it not for this medium. So I think that there are these absolutely hidden gems that we can reveal. We don't have to say, huh, it's not the same as live theater. Of course it's not. <laughs> but there are things in here that are absolutely amazing. This is taking this creative process and sharing it in a way, in an intimate way, that we have never been able to do before. And we must capitalize on that. And we can bring that to millions of people. Sure. Not just and, yeah. ahead, I, I think it'll, I just think it'll be an addition. I don't think it'll be a replacement for, I think it'll be an addition. I think if we think of this and many people are trying to think of this as a money maker, but with all the free content out there, I'm doing, I'm paying for streaming because I have friends running theaters and I want to support them. But honestly, if I didn't have friends running theater, I would go to something free. I wouldn't pay. I think it's a patron service. I think that's the tactic we have to use from a from a business perspective. This is an add-on patron service marketing idea, not a replacement for live theater. I'm curious from you, Dr. Joe, with um, now I'm curious about the oxytocin um, uh, conversation because I because I know that theater is for many people a calling, right? It's a vocation. Um, as opposed to a job. It's something that you can't quite get away from. You just, you, you're in it because it's, it's calling you. I'm curious with, with this pandemic, do you see, do you think that people are becoming healthier because they can be with themselves and really evaluate what's happening in their lives or are they becoming unhealthier because they're so isolated? I, I, I think that we are at risk of the latter. And I think we're at risk of the latter depending on the way we understand what's happening here. In the same way I started off talking about the mask. The mask is not a representation of fear and of the danger of contamination. The mask is a representation of our connection mm -hmm. and our social bonding. I wrote, I wrote a blog, you can go to Psychology Today, the face behind the mask. 
basically saying that what's what's going to be interesting is how do we begin to understand each other in ways that we have been reluctant to i i think what, what we're seeing in um in psychiatry mental health and in addiction is an enormous destigmatization it's destigmatizing coronavirus has created an opportunity for psychiatry mental health and addiction work so that everybody realizes being sad is not a sickness being scared is not a sickness being angry is not a sickness we are having a perfectly normal survival response right now to corona it is activating the limbic system in our brain which is irrational and emotional and impulsive because we feel oh my gosh there is a real danger and a threat out there and there is but human beings have evolved a new part of the brain the prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead right here is the thinking part the rational part the part that solves problems executes a plan and anticipates the consequence how many times have you done something impulsively and slapped your forehead as if you're trying to jump start your prefrontal cortex that's the part of the brain that i'm asking people to really activate now so then joe what do you think with the all the things that michael and i have been talking about with our experiences how do you think it, um everyone could um what about what we've been talking about could be helpful um to to anyone uh in this current time i think that it would be wonderful to start seeing some new material or taking old material that reflects this that reflects who we are as human beings and this primitive part of us that transforms into something that is modern and social we are social animals but our roots are isolated mammals scurrying around hoping not to be lunch and that's what's being activated right now is that isolated mammal that is primitive and afraid of being prey and that's why social animals are so powerful because once we form these social groups human beings are everywhere but to remain part of that social group you have to contribute something you have to have value and that's who we are as human beings think about every person you've ever met in your life the common thread that binds us all is we just want to feel valued by somebody else that's what we want that's what we do in our jobs and there are so many people now out of work who may be worrying about their value and then that limbic system will be activated will i be kicked out of my group and be prey no you will not you will not because people are one group it's called humanity and we need to be able to take care of each other so yes michael there is a huge risk right now of an increased incidence of depression and anxiety and anger and substance use but we know about that risk and we can do something to mitigate it by helping people and that's why i wanted to have you guys on the show because i think that the arts are one of the major ways that we can connect with millions of people and remind them that we're all in this together
that we're one group called humanity. And we can do this. We need to be creative. That's, that's how we survive. Adaptation is innovation. Let's do it. But let's find a way because we don't need to be alone. We really don't. There, there's an, a whole other group of people that I'm concerned about in the theater, though. What about all those people who aren't actors? What about the people who really support the theater? I know that. I know that as an actor, I could not be up on that stage were it not for Michael and for the person doing the costumes and the person doing my makeup and the person doing the sets and the lights and the person at the ticket booth. What do we do about them? How do we help them remain part of theater? I don't know. Yeah, me either. We just decided today we're going to have, uh, we're going to send out our artists, our, our the people who've worked for us for the last couple of years, um, some dates where we can just get on a Zoom call and have conversations with them so they can ask us questions so we can see how they're doing. Um, but I, but you, the, the notion that all humans need value may be tying into what Mark was saying earlier about the fear that people have of change. And maybe, maybe some of the idea of change is coming from like I said, can I do what they need me to do? Am I valuable enough with this new innovation that's coming out? So if I can't do that, if it scares me, I'm just going to stick to what I know and right. not change. And that's an I am. So remember, the, 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 the I am approach, the idea is we're always doing the best we can at this moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can. It is my current maximum potential. This is who I am and I matter, but I am influenced by four domains. My home domain, my social domain, which is the rest of the world, the biological domain of our brain and body, and the I see domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? These four domains interact all the time, but I truly believe we respond the best we can. So to your point, Michael, yes, part of our I see domain, how will other people see me? if I am not as valuable, activates our biological domain and we get stressed and anxious. It's called the cortisol response and all sorts of things can happen because there's people in our home and people in our social domain and we're interested in what they think about us. But if I'm doing it, everyone's doing it. Everyone is interested in what the other person thinks about them. So that's part of the I am. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And so in, in this case, I really believe that with theater and with all the arts, they are an expression of humanity, an individual's expression of humanity. And yet, there's art everywhere. Just as so, science with Sophie, Sophie will say there's science everywhere. She's right. But there's art everywhere too. There's theater everywhere. There's creation everywhere. Go ahead, Michael. Are you familiar with um, philosopher Daniel Pink? Sure. What does he say? He says we're at the dawn of the creative age. Is that what he's calling it? Yeah, and I and I truly believe that. I believe that we are on an evolutionary cusp. That we are on a cusp where we are going to shift from our limbic to our prefrontal. We're going to. We we cannot. We're never going to and never would want to get rid of our emotions. Those are so critical. 
but it's what we do with them. What I say to my patients is, there's nothing wrong with anger. It's what you do with it. It's going to be important. Nothing wrong with sadness is what you do with it. That's part of what theater is. It's taking these amazing emotions and doing something creative. In psychiatry, you've got a fancy word. It's called sublimation, where you take these feelings and you create something with them. You make something with them. In theater, we share something with them. And that's part of what we can do. Uh, and that's why I think the arts have always been important, but I think they're more important than ever right now. It is such a weird paradox because we artists are experts at imagination and seeing the world different, but at the same time, we're so fearful of that imagination, of change and of growing and of doing things different. It's a strange, strange, strange paradox. The, the question why and why not, I have been asking so much in the last six weeks. Why? Why are we doing that? Why not do this? Why not do this? And, and it's very interesting, the response I get. What, what sort of responses do you get? It's tradition. We have to hold on to what we've always done. And we can't let, uh, we can't let streaming in the, in the theaters because it will take away from people coming into the theater. We can't let go of the way we've been season planning, the way we've been doing our subscription models. They're working. And uh, so, uh, yeah, almost anything that I've been questioning and asking. And this has forced me to... And, and you know, my last theater was a children's theater. We had... 200 seat theater it was general seating in fact we had benches because it was kids theater we had what, what i call a cuddle factor so the kid can squeeze up next to dad or mom um and, and and so and it worked really really well because all those kids were coming into the theater sometimes for the first time having a great experience and, and not all the baggage from 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 what older theaters do and so when I came into this adult theater that, that, is, that has structures, I, I was starting to ask questions and, and talk to my colleagues about how they're doing what they're doing. And I just kept going, well, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like these ideas. Mm. But I came into a system, and, and we're going to break those down, but I'm, it's going to take me a minute to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've just got a few minutes left. So I asked all my guests this. The I Am has two rules. Because the four domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. Small changes can have big effects. So let me start with you, Brendan. What small change can you suggest to our listeners that they can make so that they can get through some of this corona? Um, Well, you brought up um, Sophie's show, Science with Sophie, seasons one and two now on YouTube. Check out sciencewithsophie.com for... (laughs) All that information. So, we do you want to make uh, a quick appearance? Does she want to just pop her head in or not? No, she's she's watching uh, okay. the radio show right now. Okay. Um, she, but as she said, she says science is everywhere, and as you say, the arts are everywhere. Um, and if there is a need for creativity, it's now. And if you have a, a create creative urge within you, it doesn't have to be in a five hundred seat theater, and it doesn't have to be in front of a camera. It can be something as simple as sketching be something as simple as starting uh, trying a new recipe um uh you know fixing a piece of clothing like that is artistic that there's expression in those things and it um it it centers me and i think it can center a lot of people i think it connects you to your world it helps you see 
details that maybe you have um, let go, like, like sort of just put in the background. Um, and and another thing is just to, to sit and, I mean, meditation is one thing, but to even just sit and like look at a flower. And that's kind of, I know that might to some, some audience members that might seem like a really hippy dip thing to do. But what you're actually doing is remembering that these things are out there. It's springtime now. You know, if you can look out a window and you can see a tree blooming, there's hope. And if you can see one leaf coming from a, a dormant branch and you can see and you can take a look at it day after day and you can see it getting bigger and fuller and greener and you can see the, the veins coming through and you can think about the sunlight hitting that and, the, and then the plant creating um, life and material out of that sunlight, all of a sudden you feel more connected to your world, to yourself and to the people around you. And it takes two minutes a day. Um, and I think that's one small thing that you can do is either do something really simple that's creative or just take two minutes to look at something that you haven't looked at in a while and, and just take it in. Don't put anything on it. Just take it in and see what happens. Michael, what do you suggest? Small change. Yeah, I, I feel like I should say something about theater and the arts, but I think Brendan said it so beautifully. So I won't, I won't, uh, I'll, I'll co-sign that, but uh, I won't uh, <laughs> offer anything else. I, so I think in the heaviest part of uh, a crisis that I went through in my life, pretty breakup from a traumatic relationship, I uh, developed a gratitude practice. And uh, so I had a beaded bracelet on my nightstand. And I used to touch each bead on that bracelet and name something that I was grateful for every night before I went to bed. And it was, in the beginning, it was hard. It got easier, but it forced me during the day to look for grateful things because I had to come up with this list of 40 things every night, 30 or 40. And then all of a sudden, I only saw great, happy things. I mean, I would burst out laughing when I saw a dog floppy ears walking down the street. So that gratitude practice I used for a long time. And so I, I offer that to everyone. That's wonderful. The other rule of the I am we spoke about, you control no one, you influence everyone. What kind of influence do you want to be? Your choice. Real quick, Brandon, what kind of influence do you want to be on people? You got like 15 seconds to tell us, uh, Michael. A good, I want to be good. I want to be a good person. And I, and I want that to be reflected in my work and what people remember me for. So hopefully that they will also bring good into it. Michael? I want to keep asking the word why and asking the word why not. Thanks. Folks, this has been a great show. I so appreciate your time. And let's do this. Let's be creative. And there is theater everywhere. It's an I am. Good night, Thank folks. You. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Joe. Bye, guys. Bye, Mark. Bye, Tom. Bye, Brendan. Good to see you again.